Okay, today we're going to finish off our exploration of databases with ClickHouse. ClickHouse doesn't build itself as a time series database, but people do use it that way. It's more a general purpose analytical database that is columnar. I think I've tried to cover ClickHouse before, but didn't really find a good source. And today I really made an effort to search around and listen to a few old podcasts. This one actually I missed in 2019. Uh, and this comes not from ClickHouse itself, not from Alternity, which is the one of the major players uh, before ClickHouse went on as a company. Alternity was also offering it as a service. Uh, this actually comes from Sentry, who are users and who evaluated ClickHouse pretty extensively. So this is a long clip, but it's one of the best explanations I've heard. Yeah, so I'd say as far as all the decisions that we made in order to go into this new platform, one of the biggest leaders was that when we had a big push for having environments be kind of like a first class filtration, we had to build a new dimensionality of data across all this denormalized data. We essentially doubled the storage that we had. And then we said to ourselves like, oh, this is great. This looks cool. Environments are dope. But what happens when we want to add another dimension? And another dimension, are we just going to continue to, I guess, like extrapolate across this data set and eventually end up with 100 terabytes of, you know, five different dimensions of data? So we said to ourselves that we kind of needed a flat event model that we'd be able to kind of search across. And to ourselves, you know, there are a few other pieces that we wanted on top of that. Uh, we want to be able to search across some of these arbitrary fields that we really, really looked into whether those are custom tags or something that we kind of promote, whether that is like releases or traces or searching across messages, we didn't want that to take as long as it did. And some of the other parts is that we have all of this data stored in you know this tag store and all these searches that we have to go through, but we have a completely different side for time series data that again, had to have that dimensionality in it. If we searched across these arbitrary fields, the next thing that a customer would ask for is, hey, could I please see a pretty graph? <laughs> so if we could boil down that search and that time series data into the same system, we'd be destroying two systems with one rewrite. And also, like, as part of that pro process, I mean, you kind of always have the, the standard checkpoints, you know, like the replication and durability is obviously really important for us. Ease of maintenance is huge. Uh, low cost <laughs> as, as well for us. So even that just kind of ruled out some of like the, the hosted magic storage solutions. Uh, like those, those kinds of criteria as well apply. And as you were deciding how to architect this new system, can you talk through some of the initial list of possible components that you were evaluating and what the process was for determining whether something was going to stay or go in the final right? Yeah, of course. Um, so the, our first, uh, I guess, thing that we kind of crossed off is no more row orientation. Postgres has served as well, probably wouldn't, you know, we hoped that we could engineer a good solution on top of it, but ultimately we decided we probably needed a different shape of data to be able to query across. We've kind of had like five major options. We had document stores, you know, we had some sort of uh, Google proprietary blend because we are completely on GCP. We had, you know, more more generic distributed query stuff, uh, you know, a little bit of Spark, maybe a little bit of Presto. We took a look at other distributed databases. We ran a good amount of Cassandra at my old gig, so I know how to run that. And then we also said like, oh, hey, we could just like put data down on disks ourselves and not have to worry about this. Some of the other like serious considered things that we had was a, was a column restore. 
Some of these other ones that we actually like kicked the tires on uh, was Kudu. Uh, we kicked the tires on Pino and Druid. And ultimately, we found ClickHouse as a commerce store. Uh, and we kind of just started running it. And it was one of the easiest ones to kick the tires on. Uh, some of these other, like, I guess, you know, columnar stores built on top of uh, distributed file systems, it really did take a good amount of bricks to put down in order to get to your first query. And some of the things that we wanted was figuring out operational costs on that. Uh, we wanted to be able to iterate across it quickly. We wanted to be able to kind of pare down on the dependencies that this service had. Uh, you know, while we weren't afraid to run a few JVMs or to run, a, you know, a little bit of HDFS, that was something that realistically I might not want to have to have, you know, an, an entire engineer dedicated to running something like that. And on the antithesis of that, you know, we could choose some of this Google proprietary blend, but how would it feel to go from having Sentry only require Redis and Postgres to now saying you can only run the new version on Google? Yeah. That was a little bit silly. So we ended up really just getting through an MVP of I think both Kudu and Clickhouse. Okay. And one of the one of the biggest ones that really did kick us, and for anyone listening, go ahead and correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> but it, one of my memories was that one of our engineers, uh, you know, started loading data into Kudu, and you didn't really know when it was there. It was great for you know being able to being able to crunch down a bunch of numbers. But one of our biggest things that you did kind of hint at is that we do need real time data and to be able to write into this uh, data store and then to be able to read it on a consistent basis was one of the things we needed. Uh, we have the ability to have a, a feature called alert rules in which you say, hey, only tell me if you know, any event with the tag you know, FooMan got in and the value equals chew, uh, which was only maybe like 10 events in the last hour. And you want to be able to read that pretty quickly so that when that 10th event comes in, you're not waiting minutes until that alert shows up. And ClickHouse was able to do that. And so that kind of just got its way up to number one. Yeah, I think also in general, like at Century, we try and kind of bias a little bit towards relatively simple solutions. And it seemed like ClickHouse, there was, at least to us, based on our backgrounds, it seemed more straightforward to get running. And I think that as well appealed to us quite a bit. The documentation, is pretty solid. It's also open source. You know, I mean, a lot of these will be, but you know, ClickHouse has a pretty active repository. They've been very responsive when we've had questions or issues. They're very public about their development plan. So I think a lot of these things just kind of, kind of worked out in its favor. Yeah, it's definitely from what I've been able to understand, a fairly new entrant into the overall database and data storage market. But I've heard of a few different stories of people using it in fairly high load environments. So I heard about the work that you're doing with Snuba. As far as I understand, Cloudflare is also using it for some of their use cases, and they definitely operate at some pretty massive scale with high data volumes. So it seems like a pretty impressive system that has a lot of different capabilities. And I was pretty impressed when I had some of the folks from Altinity on the podcast a while ago to talk about their experience of working it and working with some of their clients on getting it deployed. And I'm curious what some of the other types of systems you were able to replace with ClickHouse were, given that you, as you said, you have these four different systems that you had to be able to replicate event data to, were you able to collapse them all down into this one storage engine? Yeah, so like in our code base, the, those four different things, the TSDB, Search, Tag Store, and Node Star, all have 
kind of abstract service interfaces that really just sort of evolved from the fact that it's an open source project. People wanted to use these, these different backends for it. Three of those now are backed by the same data set in ClickHouse. So all the TSDB data comes directly out of ClickHouse. There's no pre-aggregation that happens anymore. It's just, you know, we're just ripping over individual rows, competing those aggregates on demand, uh, at least for now. Search, some of the data for search still lives in Postgres, but a lot of it now is, uh, it, it just runs in from log data in, in ClickHouse, essentially. Tag store, we've re removed how many servers? What were we using for tags? We had, oh goodness, like 12 N1 HIMEM 32s, which is a 32 core and mm, maybe 200 odd gigs. But, you know, getting, getting into some of these other stats that we have a little bit more down the list, uh, we went from 52 terabytes of SSDs to two terabytes, uh, which is a good number <laughs> to bake down from. Yeah. So we were able to, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. yeah, we were able to decommission like an entire Redis cluster, like cluster in quotes, and this entire Postgres cluster with drastically less hardware. And yeah, just the fact that it all reads from the same ClickHouse cluster, and there's none of this weird replication line between all these systems, that's, it's a huge positive. Can you talk a bit more about the overall architecture of Snuba itself and just some of the operational characteristics and experience that you've had in terms of ClickHouse itself and maybe some of the early pain points and sharp edges that you ran into as you were getting used to this new system? Yeah, sure. Uh, so I guess just to give you kind of a, a brief overview of the architecture, because it's, it's something that's really not particularly fancy. <laughs> it's... Really, Snuba is just a small, like it, relatively small Flask application, at least small when you compare it with like the remainder of Century. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's a Flask application. It just speaks HTTP. Uh, it's in Python. It's generally stateless. The writes, as they come in, they go through a Kafka topic. It's published directly from the, the remainder of the Century codebase. Uh, the Century codebase and the Snuba codebase are actually completely independent at least as far as like the project uh, like Git tree. So Sentry writes in this Kafka topic, this Nuba consumer picks them up, does some denormalization, some data munging, you know, kind of conventional Kafka consumer stuff and writes large batches of events uh, to ClickHouse. Uh, we don't use the ClickHouse Kafka engine or anything particularly special for that. We just use the Confluent Kafka driver from Confluent, uh, which is libarty Kafka based. And that's, yeah, all in, all in Python. Reads to Snuba happen also over HTTP. Not anything also particularly fancy there. Uh, we have some various optimizations that we, we do, kind of just a general query cache and deduplication of queries. Uh, so that way we don't have large queries that have long run times executing concurrently on the cluster. We do some optimizations where we move some stuff from uh, the where clause in ClickHouse SQL to a pre-where clause, which is basically the closest thing you get to any sort of query optimization. And we do some other just like query rewriting stuff based on our, our domain model. Uh, there's other rate limits and quality of service, metrics logging type stuff that happens in there as well. Uh, as long as that all goes well, uh, a response is returned to the caller with something that is almost identical to what you would get if you were just interacting with the HTTP interface of ClickHouse itself. If it doesn't go well, that ends up getting logged to Sentry. And we <laughs> we then kind of enter the system again to go to go look at it. 
so that's kind of the the brief overview it's it's nothing particularly fancy yeah sometimes simple is best particularly when you're dealing with something that's as critical path as this yeah for sure yeah so towards a little bit of the the early engineering that you might have alluded to one of our i say one of our biggest early difficulties was that we've you know we've we've spent a lot of eggs in the postgres basket so we turn this on and you know the queries that we'd set up for a row oriented database are just like absolutely not <laughs> meant for a columnar store which is a crazy thing to say out loud uh, it's so easy to type select star though so easy <laughs> yeah spelling is hard but uh you know there's there's some things that just absolutely did not cut over to this columnar store that we kind of had to like redesign how we had every query you know century uh, kind of had a, a quick application of order by some arbitrary column and then limit by a thousand to be able to like explicitly hit a binary tree index in Postgres. And that didn't matter in ClickHouse, you know, any sort of limits just kind of truncated what rows you were returning. If you applied an order by that would have taken your entire data set and ordered it. Some of the other things is that we had a lot of select stars everywhere, like Ted said, and that is honestly one of the worst ways to operate on a columnar store because you're just reading from every literal file. So we had to change that a little bit. Some of the other things that we kind of had, uh, you know, we, we didn't have a query planner. So there was a lot of like taking a query and just kind of moving pieces around. Uh, one of the things that Ted alluded to was the notion of a pre-ware. When you have, you know, multiple columns that you want to, you want to filter on in a where clause, you kind of have the ability to, to give ClickHouse a little bit of heuristics and say, this is the column that we believe has the highest selectivity. And if you put it down in a pre-wear clause, it will read through that column first, you know, decide which block IDs it's going to read from for the rest of them. So if you have something along the lines of an event ID that for us is, you know, globally unique, that might have a little bit higher of a selectivity than an environment or, you know, a release might have a little bit of higher selectivity. So we were kind of working around these edges by just swapping variables around and saying, well, did that make it faster? <laughs> and then if we said yes, we kind of threw some high fives around. Yeah, there are like also just the integration into some of the query patterns we have in Sentry was a bit of a challenge. ClickHouse is really designed to do particularly well with inserts. It does not do particularly well with updates or deletes to the point where they aren't actually like syntactically valid <laughs> in the like ClickHouse flavored SQL. So we had like Century as a whole is particularly insert heavy, but it's not insert only. And so we had to kind of work around basically the fact that ClickHouse is is extremely oriented towards inserts. We kind of ended up with something that actually James mentioned he worked on Cassandra in a past life. I did as well. Uh, we ended up with a architecture that is fairly similar to the Cassandra tombstone for how we delete data, where we kind of implement our own last right win semantics on top of the replacing merge tree in ClickHouse. There's a, a long blog post about how we do that uh, as part of, we have this field guide series that we've been working on where we go into some of these like weird things that we do with ClickHouse. Similarly, for things like those alerts that James mentioned earlier, we basically require sequential consistency to be able to execute those queries effectively. 
that becomes a problem when you're dealing with multi-master replication uh, like ClickHouse does. So we ended up having to do some kind of dodgy load balancing stuff uh, where we we don't have a, a literal primary for all writes, but we kind of have this ad hoc primary that all writes go to as long as that is up. And for some subset of queries, they are only allowed to evaluate uh, on that, that primary. It's not like guaranteed sequential consistency in like a true distributed system sense, but it's, it's good enough for what we need. It's also particularly complicated because the um, system doing the querying is not Snuba. It's, it lives in the Sentry code base. And so we basically need to be able to notify the Sentry code base that these rows have been written to ClickHouse from Snuba as part of this. So we ended up having to engineer this solution where we have a commit log coming out of the Snuba Kafka consumer that the Century application is actually subscribed to that Kafka topic, the commit log Kafka topic, and gating its own progress based on the progress of the Snuba writer. There's also a blog post that goes into more depth about how we specifically impl implemented that on the, the Sentry blog as part of this field guide series. But just, yeah, things like that, that you, like we, we knew things like the mutations were gonna be something that we had to manage. We didn't particularly have strategy around it. And the, uh, the sequential consistency stuff probably caught us a little bit more by surprise than it should have uh, as we were doing some of our or kind of integration testing uh, in production with this and, and noticed that some of the queries weren't exactly returning what we thought they would have. Uh, and so that was, that was something we also had to solve. And you mentioned that one of the reasons that you ended up going further forward with ClickHouse than any of the other systems is that it was pretty easy to get up and running with and seemed fairly simple operationally. So I'm curious what you have found to be the case now that you're actually using it in production and putting it under heavier load and in a clustered environment and any sort of useful lessons that you've learned in the process that you think anybody else who's evaluating ClickHouse should know about? Absolutely. So this is this is my time to shine. Uh, <laughs> so one of the things that I kind of had to had to make a concession to is that I've never worked with a database that could possibly be bound by CPU. Uh, it's always been you know make sure that your disks are as fast as possible. You know the the data is on the disks. You got to <laughs> read from the disks. And the the reason that you know it, it very well could be bound by CPU is that. You know, I've I've seen compression in the compression in the past, and I didn't really understand what compression could actually give you until we had, we turned ClickHouse on. Sorted compression, realistically, you know, brings our entire data set. You know, we kind of alluded to it earlier. Brings our entire data set from fifty-two terabytes down to two terabytes, and about eight hundred gigs of those are surprisingly uh, uncompressible because they're unique. Uh, you know, thirty-two character strings. If anyone can tell me a, an algorithm that helps compress that, uh, you know, I think, <laughs> think that we, we made a television series around that or something <laughs> like that. But you know, for the, for the rest of the rest of the data, it's, it's so well compressed that being able to actually like compute across it does so well. You know, we, we run a small amount of servers to supply what is a, a large amount of a data set. You know, we've, we started, I would say that like if there was any advice to anyone out there, uh, start by sharding. 
Never, never shard by two because two is a cursed number in terms of distributed systems. But we really just started with, you know, three shards, three replicas. And, you know, with that, with that blessed number of nine, we haven't gone up yet. Uh, we kind of have a high watermark of a terabyte per machine. Google gives uh, a certain amount of, of read and write off of that disk based on how much storage you have. And we've kind of unlocked a certain level. And one terabyte for a machine on, if anyone else is somehow running ClickHouse on GCP, uh, I guess on GCE, that is, you know, we're we're about to apply our, our fourth shard. But realistically, some of the other things that, that are operationally sound is that, you know, as, as much as we'd all love to, uh, I guess, like hammer on or praise XML, it is, uh, it is very explicit about, about what you have to write in. Uh, it's configured via XML. There's no runtime configuration that you're applying. There's no, you know, magic distribution of, of writing into an options store and watching that cascade into a cluster. You're not auto scaling. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not, you know, crunching in any Kubernetes pods or anything like that. One of the things that I'd be remiss to not say uh, is that you did mention uh, Cloudflare is running ClickHouse and shout out Cloudflare. They run real hardware and I'll never do that again in my life. But uh, one of the things that they alluded to in one of their kick-ass blogs about ClickHouse is that it replicates so fast that they found it more performant that when a disk in a like RAID 10 dies, they just wipe all the data, rebuild the, the disk essentially empty and just have ClickHouse refill it itself. Uh, it is crazy fast in terms of replication. Um, since all of that is compressed, it really just sends that across the wire. Some of the other stuff that you know we've found completely great in terms of operational wise is that since it is CPU bound, it's mostly by reads. When you are a write heavy company and you're now bound by reads in terms of cost of goods sold, like I can throw around a million high fives after that. Uh, it's great to just watch you know people log in and actually look at their data and watch our graphs tick up instead of just saying. Well, you know, we spent a lot of spent a lot of money on this, and people are only reading, you know, one percent of their data. One other piece that I'd be remiss to not to not answer is that some some niceties about ClickHouse uh, that kind of separated from a few other databases that I've worked with is that you have the ability to to kind of set some very quick either like throttling or kind of like turboing settings that you have uh, on the client side. So. Some of the things that we might do is that if we know that a query is going to be expensive, we could, you know, sacrifice a little bit of resources and to kind of like turn it back fast. So there is just a literal setting that is max threads where I say, you know what, I really want this to run faster, set max threads to eight instead of four. And it does exactly what it says it does. It'll run twice as fast if you give it twice as many threads. Uh, so there are pretty easy things that we kind of run around in terms of operational wise. I think that as far as a database goes, you know, one of the hardest things to do is just kind of read all of the settings to figure out what they do. But after you kind of get versed in it, you'll understand, you know, what applying this setting might be or at what threshold you might set something. And it's not very magical. Uh, you know, some of these settings realistically are for very explicit types of queries that you'd only supply from a client side if you really needed them. So fairly, I wouldn't go so far as to say simple, like the configuration is almost like dumb in that it's, it's very straightforward. Very straightforward. Yeah. Yep. That's it. Uh, the Cloudflare blog post that they mentioned in the talk, I could not find specifically talking about the fast replication, but it looks like based on the timing, there's only one blog post they could be talking about. So I'm just going to leave that in the show notes. And of course, there's the full transcript below as well.